namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sangang namasami So just to remember, recollect that the we'll call meditation practice just a, it's a kind of part and a very important part of a whole cultivation. But you've, it's always good to keep coming back to the foundations because uh, they're not separate from the accomplishments, the, the goal, you know, the path and the source are really all the same thing. You know, that is the intentions that we bring into the practice are right there in, in, you know, the way we act, the way we speak. We're establishing particular intentions, particular commitments, particular qualities of calm or straightness or purity or generosity or patience, you know. You're just establishing these barami virtues and living with those and those so it's really like you're using you know the mind you only got one mind really so you're just developing that that stream that current of good intentions so the mind loses its kind of tangles and its uh you know its confusions it just starts to get straightened out by just continually putting this stream putting into this stream so naturally that pays off in meditation where a lot of the time, you know, we start out with a good idea and it's quite simple in some ways, you know, sit, watch the breath or, um, you know, <laughs> and yet, or, you know, not too long, you find that what's coming up is, is all the undercurrents of past karma, past actions or root intentions, confusions, you know, the way we've been compounded and, and uh, developed in our lives, sometimes not, you know, even not what we've done, but what's been done to us, or the situations we've been in have affected the way our minds work, very nervous or lack of confidence or f- feeling frustrated or irritable or something like that, you know. And who knows why and where and whose fault it is and all that. You just know that you've got a stream that's got some muddy tangles and isn't working clearly. So you want to just go back to the source and uh, keep generating the good stream. This is to recognize that good, skilkusala, good, is, is not just right, it also feels good. You know, so it's not just about, oh well, you've got to do something right, you know be nice, be virtuous, be kind, and you can do it. But actually the point of it is it makes you feel good. You know, yeah, that's why it's good. 
it's good in both ways. So often, right at the beginning of a formal meditation, sit practice, uh, you know, where we chant, for example, make offerings to the shrine, is a particular quality of, of recollection that occurs right at that time. You know, right? Buddha, teacher, we've been offered these possibilities, these teachings. You know, we, we've inherited uh, a very detailed and long-standing tradition of teachings and practice and support, you know, from wonderful, from this, the Buddha, you know, so that feeling of, you're in the tribe, you know, you're in, you're in the company, you're part of that, so here's your connection, and your connection is one of, of generosity, like you make an offering, this is very fundamental, so that's the way you connect, it's not some old statue up there you've got to do something to, or, you know... <laughs> But a real feeling that you connect to Buddha through through generosity, through some, and it's not you don't have to be that generous. Basically, all you got to do is light a candle. <laughs> so one stick of incense would do. So it's not not you know, and in a sense, and then offering oneself. So the main thing is offering the heart. You know, that moment we really consider, you know, just for one for twenty seconds. You know. That sense of really wanting to, the good, the true, the beautiful. What would you really like to live with? You know, what would you like to feel your life was going? So this is the last moment of your life. What would you like to be doing? You know, worrying, planning, feeling fed up, feeling guilty. <laughs> nice to go out with a sense of well, whatever, great. You know, sense of offering. And then that, so that, and then that sets up something. You know. There is these, uh, and then we consider we can then develop a reflection. What's called Buddha Nusati, uh, reflections, recollections of the Buddha. Uh, for example, we can consider, you know, the Buddha practiced generosity. I can do that. The Buddha practiced virtue. I can do that. You're not looking at how much. You're just saying you, you know what that means. You can do it. And it's very much that's is how you. You walk, you walk, you talk, you live that. You do, Buddha. Don't just believe it, you do it. Hmm? <laughs> and these, you know, in these quite practical ways, you do patience, you do um, energy, you do effort, your application, you do that. You do kindness, you do it. You know? So you recollect Buddha, you kind of put those there, and you deliberately you know, establishing a particular stream. And you can do this conceptually. It's considering, and with uh, deep attention, Yoni Sikari, you take those concepts and you try to get a feeling for them. What does it feel like? So a lot of the time, we, we, you know, the way we use words and language, just kind of words, streams of them, streams through the brain, and they don't really connect. They just stimulate other ideas. But, Recollection is you get a, a thought like, uh, may I be well, and or may she be well, or may they be well. Take that and just try to just, just say it again. What do you mean? What does it feel like? You know, so you start to resonate that with the, the heart, the feeling center. You know. Buddha, what does that mean? You know.
And then in the chanting, you, it's it's kind of it's formulated, isn't it? Who bestows blessings on me? So sometimes in the chanting, we listen to the chanting, you get a particular phrase, and just comes up as a recollection. I always like the one the Dhamma upholds those who uphold it. You know, it will support you. You support. You know, you give yourself to the practice. It will it will come back and support you. The Dhamma upholds those who uphold it. You know, so you take something like that and just consider it, bear it in mind, reflect on it, and get you get the meaning of it. So you take things like that in, and it starts to establish particular um, heart references that are very important for when you you know you go beneath the the surface of thought and you're meditating, and one of these experiences, these recollections can happen, you know. Because you you primed yourself, you placed them there. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the way that the Dharma practice is is classified, categorized in Asian tradition: dana, sila, bhavana, generosity, virtue, and cultivation. You know, or or mind cultivation. So, in a way, it kind of just simplifies all the lists of, of Buddha-like qualities, generosity, morality, and um, concentration, insight, these, these practices. And they're all considered, you know, equally important. I was in a story the other day, someone, one of the, whatever, Asian supporters had a shop, uh, and it's a food store, and uh, occasionally he was in this town, occasionally people would chuck a brick through the window of his shop and steal things, you know. So he go, yeah. And uh, so this had happened to him. Somebody smashed his shop window and broken in, and, you know, so he got ripped off. <laughs> and then, so they were going, he and some friends of his were going around to buy a whole load of, of food, you know, wholesale food. They got this, um, and the, the checkout had o- overcharged them. Sixty pound overcharged them, and uh, they were trying to figure out where. What's his name? He suddenly thought, no. um, you know, so they were trying to dis- work out who was supposed to pay what. And he said, "I'll cover it. I'll cover it. I'll pay the sixty pound. I'll cover it costs." And so the, the guy said. Oh, what do you do that for? He said, well, I was feeling so miserable about being ripped off that I thought the only way to make myself feel better was to do something generous. <laughs> you know, suddenly I feel good again. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, doing somebody else a favor. I mean, that's part of it, but it's that feeling of, you know, the, the heart opening, you know. And it can have uh, big effects. When I was in Sri Lanka uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, people took me to see this uh, uh, monastery where they were carving an enormous Buddha statue out of out of the out of a side of a cliff. So the statue must have been I don't know forty, fifty feet high. I suppose they were just carving it in the cliff face, granite, you know. 
So I said, how did this come about? And the uh, head monk there, he said, well, you know when they blew those Buddha rupas up in Afghanistan, in, in Bamiyan, you know, well, word got out, and so the, the local children of the village heard these Buddhas had been blown up, destroyed. So they thought, well, that's, so they felt unhappy about that. So they thought, well, you know, we like to have a new one. So the children got together and they raked up all their bits and pieces and they got about seven rupees or something like that. <laughs> but it was all they had, all they could get together. And they said, can we give this seven rupees towards just carving a new Buddha? <laughs> so the monk said, well, you know, it won't be. A, well, can we just please do something? So, well, okay, you know. So... They, they they started this little fund, and then people got so inspired that the, these village children had given their their pittance towards putting a Buddha. They thought, oh, that's really inspiring. So other people gave money towards that. Then this village, which wasn't a very poor, rich village, it's fairly poor. Yeah. So when this got going, then then something an architect heard about. It. He was so inspired, he thought, I'll I'll I'll. I'll design this Buddha for free as, as my act of dana, you know, because he got inspired by that. And he was a Tamil. So that was helpful because the Tamils and the Sinhalese got this thing going. So he was an Indian Tamil. Well, the Indian Tamil, that brought the Indian community in. So it ended up the, one of the Indian ministers, the Indian government came over, you know, to, to bless it. So they put all this effort, energy and publicity and group support came out of these Children raking together seven rupees. <laughs> That's how, you know, because of the, you start something, you know. So you never underestimate, you know, like a little bit, because it's not, we're not looking at amounts, we're looking at touching a particular, almost like a nerve that all of us have, you know, as a feeling of, Ah, yeah, it's great. You know? Hey, it's on me. It's for you. you know? And the Buddha said, this is, this is actually what he considered the entry to the Dhamma. Because it's a nerve, it's a sensitivity that everybody has. Everybody knows it makes them feel good. We all do it. You know? We tend to forget it or think, well, I haven't got very much anyway. I don't want people bother, you know, my... We don't necessarily, but it's there, you know. And um, in, you know, the Buddha said, this is your first thing that you, you recollect. You can do something for another person's welfare. It starts up a, a very powerful stream. You know, this is the entrance to, to Buddha Dhamma is this. It's not actually a meditation retreat in the classic understanding of it. It's, it's an act of, of, of generosity, of recognizing that quality. Because what it does is it starts to establish um, a certain, we might say, selflessness, you know, which I step out of my little conundrum into, well, how about you? You know? <laughs> it's that kind of moving out into, well, how about you? How can I, rather than me, you know, rather than pulling in, and trying to fill up the me bit, 
there's a sort of turning around the other way. How, what about you? Yeah. And it's like opening the door, opening the window. You suddenly feel fresh and bright. And it gives you a connection to other people that um, is warm. It's not just nobody's comparing anyone else. We're not proving who's better or, you know, or trying to win something. So it's a, it's a lovely, sweet quality. And uh, that's why it's so fundamental in Buddhist culture. Wherever you go somewhere, you bring an offering, flowers, incense, candles, doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's, established, it's the way um, in monastic life, that's, that's the fundamental thing. You always, when you go somewhere, you bring an offering. And it can be just three sticks of incense. Because it's almost like this is the common um, calling card or the common you know, gesture of presenting yourself. Here I am with an offering. That's its standard. Yeah. So, and they make a, in, in culture, in Buddhist culture, they make a whole thing out of it. Um, when you go to visit a very somdet or a senior monk, very senior monk, often you have these um, offerings you make. And they, they, they package these sticks of incense, which aren't even sticks of incense, they're fake incense. So absolutely useless. <laughs> but they look nice. And they make a little kind of log pile of these things and they wrap them up with a nice ribbon and you get this sort of jasmine petals and flowers and a little kind of, sometimes you get these quite elaborate um, presentation trays of useless stuff (laughs) that he doesn't want (laughs) or need. (laughs) You think, what's the point of that? And you go there and you kind of lift the thing up to your head and you make the gesture offering and he receives it, he puts it to one side That's it, you know. But that's what you do. It says, look, you know, it's your your fundamental gesture rather than shaking hands and saying hello, it's that. This is what I do, you know. Uh, of connection, immediately a kind of, of a, like a connection of goodwill. And you bow, you know, when you do that. And it, it's sort of, you know, these meeting people, there's always this kind of, when we meet someone, what do we do? You know, there's a little, you've got to ne- not to negotiate, don't you? You've got to navigate your way in how we can make contact. So you sort of, how are you? Hello, well, what, you know, what are you doing? It's all a bit nervous. Is this how we're supposed to relate? And it just takes you over that, that threshold into, you know, uh, and it's uh, very um, safe because it's not, uh, you know, in some ways it's very touching, but it's also impersonal. Dana. Lovely the gesture that we make in uh, monastic training. Is, this is often uh, um, things like like these useless things, <laughs> and also um, service. Of course, is a big thing for in monks and nuns. You know, offering service to each other, and, uh, helping the tidy the monastery up, helping keep the you know taking on service, acts of service. 
And particularly, of course, they have this um, it's a very strong tradition of ser- of serving in terms of the, the senior senior monks or the senior nuns, and the junior people tend to make that part of their practice. And it can be quite you can make a whole thing out of it. Yeah. You clean the kuti. You can uh, you know look after correspondence. You can clean their robes. You can you know carry stuff. And it becomes almost like a particular uh, 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 training in sat- in mindfulness. You see, and then you say, "How can you offer something? How can you? Oh, I'll carry your bag. I'll put your shoes down for you. I'll, you know." And it's uh, in in the training monasteries. It's almost amazing to see this whole choreography occurring around uh, you know around the senior monk. He sort of gets up and. Somebody's got his sitting cloth, somebody's taking his sangati, and he, you know, somebody's got his bag. And, um, you know, I found it quite confusing because I'm, you know, generally you feel, well, I'll look after my own stuff. Then when you go to Thailand, you, you get up and suddenly your, your bag's gone. You think, where's that gone? <laughs> and your robes have gone. And they, you just basically, you know, they just, and you go somewhere, and, they, and wherever you go, they're sitting there. The bag is there, it got there before you. And your sitting cloth's already laid out. You know, some they've held, kind of moved around it. You know, because it doesn't always work. <laughs> Get somewhere you found they, <laughs> they thought you were going somewhere else, but you just kind of let go into it uh, as a, as a practice. It's not about you know the fact that you obviously I can carry my own bag, not that weak, but. Uh, it's just this sense of people tuning in to, to how they can do that, and the, the sense of service. Mm. You go to Wat Ba Pong, you see that you know, Ajahn Liam will be there and about eight monks sort of massaging his feet and hands and uh, uh, hardly gets any rest. <laughs> so much service, he's nearly killing him. <laughs> Said about the only time he gets to be on his own is when he goes to the toilet, because even even bathing, they bathe you. You, you know, you, you kind of put a bathing cloth on, then people pour water over you and start rubbing you down and soaping you down. So, and it can be quite grueling actually being served, <laughs> but it's all part of you know practice. Because so, the idea is that person's coming out of their their preoccupation and developing this, uh, you know, mindful focus. So it does help to just, uh, um, you know, just get out of your stuff. You know, put out, put it, just come out of it. Don't just keep going into those those vortexes. Get out of it. Come out of it. And um, so it comes down to, in in day life, it comes down to things like, uh, you know, make a practice out of, you know, get up in the morning, and then you can just kind of get up, but then get up and actually fold the blankets, tidy it up, put things to one side, you know, so that you start getting that sense of getting things straightened, rather than just leave it in a heap. Look around the kuti, look around the dwelling place, tidy it up, 
getting, you know. So that it's it's uh, your attention is holistic. It's not just internal. It's also around you. You know, that's so scanning. So you don't just get stuck internally. And particularly in forest monasteries, that's quite an uh, important part of the training because you have to. If you don't do that, then what's going to happen is that you get some creature moves into your kuti. If you don't keep cleaning it and tidying it at least once or twice a day, something moves in. could be a python <laughs> or a cobra or termites or scorpions or centipedes. So, you know... And in your in the bathing area, of course, this is where the uh, frogs will come. So where frogs come, snakes come. So you've got to keep that tidy, otherwise you're going to get, you can walk in there one day and be a cobra, sitting, you know, rearing up out of your bathroom. So, and then often the, the cooties themselves can be fairly, um, not that strong. So you just can't clunk around to them because you just put your foot through the floor. So it always training in you know in that sense of all round mindfulness. So this kind of touches into the area of of conduct, our customs, observances, conduct, sila, which is also very important. How we behave, so how we behave externally, is going to be how we behave internally. You know, the two are going to be going to reflect each other, aren't they? You know, so the sense of why we tidy things and clean things out and put things aside and, and try to live with uh, kind of space and not a lot of clutter is because that's going to happen internally as well. Yeah, I notice as my. Kuti gets more cluttered, my mind gets more cluttered. <laughs> Generally, you know, I get more letters piling up and you know, bits of paper and stuff like that. Then I start to find my mind's getting kind of occupied with you know, agendas and minutes and stuff that comes in. So it's just actually got to spend some time going through it, putting it away, throwing it away, you know, as part of the overall cultivation. It's clearing things away. Then the mind feels clear. Because one has developed that kind of quality of this isn't about moving to the next project or getting on with something. It's just about clearing out, just going around. And you do that internally. Like, what do I need to think about? Don't need to think about that this week. That one I've finished with. Don't need to remember that. Done it. Um, that one prioritize. That one forget it. You know? So you start to clear clear the way you think you know? and then recognizing whatever we do uh, has effects so that's a big part of behavioral training understanding whatever we do however and even however we do it is going to leave an effect so if we're doing things hastily impatiently you get that result if you do things without taking care of End result, you get that result. You get that kind of un, unfinished. Um, if you're doing things from a place of irritation or frustration, 
they carry that quality and you get the result of that. Mm-hmm. If you're doing things with the feeling of, oh, let's get through this on the next one, then you, you develop that particular habit. So, yeah. So really this sense of, of um, you know, specific patient attention to what needs to be done, whether, you know, it's interesting or gripping or, you know, about somebody else or, you know, or it's just, it doesn't matter. It's holistic. I remember, and it's um, just being tuning into that possibility, looking for the opportunities. Sometimes they're there already. We get it's built in as a structure, with the chores and things like that. Then you kind of do chores in a, oh well, do the chores way. <laughs> or you can look around and think, well, actually, you know, what's really, you know, look at it more clearly, look at it more fully, look at it more thoroughly. So you get that quality of like eagerness, ardor, keenness. How can you how can you work this out? Develop that sense. Look for the sign. Hmm. It was the Ajahn Sumedho and he was in India and then he was uh taken to Varanasi, to the Ghats. And he's in Varanasi on the Ghats. He had a small group of people with him. And uh, he met a, there was an Indian woman there, and she had two little girls. And he met them. And they were talking, and he said, the two little girls, you know, they're, they're all destitute. And um, so he thought, okay, well, um, you know, people have, people who wanted to offer me things, I'll just turn all my offerings over to you. Um, for your little, for your two girls. Um, so they got, you know, I don't know how much there was, but people wanted to give him something. So he said, well, just channel it all to these, this woman. She was, her husband had died, and her two, two little girls. So they get some sort of education. And so from that, then he made this um, determination that whenever people would make him offerings, he would channel it that way. And then he would teach a retreat and say, well, if you really want to express your gratitude to me, then anybody who wishes to, and it's completely up to you, then you can make, a, you can make a, an offering towards this, this, um, this, this, towards supporting these two girls. So just looking for the opportunity, and then you see it, and then you, you know, it could be anybody, you know, and you can think, well, you know, what can I do for the sake of all sentient beings? Well, you just do it for one. <laughs> you know, you look for the chance, something comes your way, and you say, okay, why not? Why not do that? It doesn't matter whether you can do it, whether you can achieve it, but you say, I'll at least put my seven rupees that way, you know. I'll at least give my attention that way for one so this was, I don't know, about seven or eight years ago, I guess, for him. So those two girls, because of that, those two girls, you know, were um, 
got um, able to stay in a small school, residential school, get an education, um, learn English. Uh, they'd write him le- very lovely letters, you know, uh, and quite simple but affectionate letters. And I thought it was very touching, you know, that you don't even, you've got someone like Ajahn Sumedha had all these responsibilities and people want this and big things you've got to think about and climbing to the deathless and <laughs> you know, all these big monumental things and yet you can actually just see two kids on a gat of Varanasi and think, well, fair enough. Yeah, you know. And and change their lives. You know? And just that 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 quickness, that sense of you know, being able to see an opportunity and go for it. So when you cultivate that, it's like you start, there's a fun in it. It's almost the, like, you realize you can't, you can't fix everything. You know, and it's not trying to get everything done. It's just you look for the opportunity. How, how could I make that person's task a bit easier just because I want to, because it's, it's, it's fun. You know, it's like a, almost a, a, a quiz. How can you make their life a bit easier? You know? How can you maybe prepare things so they don't have to um, do 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 certain tasks or whatever? Remember, one of the Anagarikas was very skillful at that. She was so, you know, she would always come when when uh, um, you know she once was asked to come and see me she'd come along she'd have a tray of offerings you'd even have a receiving cloth so if I'd forgotten mine I could actually <laughs> she'd give me the receiving cloth so I could receive it properly you know it's like just thinking in advance how can you make it a bit easier how can you make it work for other person and you know something that requires doesn't cost anything is not monumental but the gestures of the quality of attention are really inspirational and uh, encourages you to sort of come out of the of the the world view that one's thoughts and impulses can create it's like you like lateral thinking you know you start to see things another way look around keep the mind bright so when we sit and meditate, you know, one of the uh, challenges of it is it can get pretty kind of, in some ways, dull. Or just going through the same old thing. You know, you know it took a long retreat, same old thing. Same old noises in the head, same old scenarios, same old crunch points, same old dullnesses, you know. And the, you know, so then you just sort of back off, you know, get back. You start to, how can you make the mind bright, sharp? How can you make it, turn it around, you know? And it's often in these practices that uh, the mind starts to sit, sort of, you know, comes out of its trance. For a start, we uh, 
begin to see that, of course, that it's much more, meditation is much more than just attention. Focusing attention, attention's part of it, but the the uh, heart qualities of it, the sense of set responsiveness of, you know, checking in, and what's the right gesture to make, what's the right attitude to have. Yeah. What's the right sense of uh, generosity or care? Rather than just focus, 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 you know? So you start to develop the quality of intention. And these are what these parami uh, are about, developing intentionalities. So that just, you know, establishing that as a, as a mode of practice. How do you can be generous to yourself? How can you be uh, a guide? One of the other standard recollections is, that's there for uh, as part of our tradition is just to recollect every day, recollect the good that one has done or been part of. So it's not just um, self-affirmation, but just to recognize, recognize um, in the sense of effort, um, application, patience, acts of kindness, sharing, small specific points, but really specifically, not just kind of notional things like, oh, I'm a good person, I mean well, but specific points when you could have done it this way, but instead you did the generous thing, or you did the patient thing, or you did that little bit of effort that you didn't need to do, but you did it because it felt proper. You know? Nobody else minded which way you did it, but you did that bit more because that felt, yeah, that was just, that was right. And, you know, just noticing those, those points points when we could have thought, oh, forget it. I mean, no, stay with that. So recollecting, and this is the skill of recollection, you go back to those specific items, you think them, how does that feel? How does it feel? Just take it slowly, how does it feel? What did that feel like? You're sieving through all this stream of intentionality that's there to what are the bright what are the bright currents? What do they feel like? Where are they? And to remember that we have them. And the more you keep going to those, the bigger they get. It's almost like a simple piece of chemistry. The more you turn you go into the bright, the more you visit it, the bigger it gets. You don't have to actually make it bigger, it will grow by itself. Because the attention energizes what we do. So when we give attention to the good, just by giving it attention, it becomes a frequented, frequented, alive place for us. It has its own vitality. And you withdraw attention from other things, and they start to lose their, their, their bite, their intensity. Hmm? So rather than just go, you know, sit and go through the same old 
moaning and, and uh, you know, obsessive negative patterns of the mind, it's better to just come out, think clearly, you know, and, and establish clear positive perceptions. Well, I remember one of the monks saying he used to have a photograph album of people who were in um, famines and uh, diseased and you know extreme difficulties. Whenever he felt a sense of self-pity or complaining about what a rotten life it was and how he never got a good deal, he just opened up his photograph album of these and said, yeah, well, look at this. <laughs> you know, and you're suddenly, wow, I've still got two legs. So these are, are ways, uh, wise, uh, you know, turning attention quite deliberately to bring up perceptions that gladden, steady, and calm the heart. It's all part of the practice. Anyone?